Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. Block Kansas City. Let me tell you guys a story, all right? Guys, we're starting off on a big note. Hurricane Joaquin, four brave Coast Guard officers. The date is September 28th, 2015. Hurricane Joaquin was a Category 4 storm. Category 4 hurricane had 150 mile an hour winds, had over 40 foot waves, and it had been defying all conventional tracking. It was supposed to make its way north up towards the, the coast of Me- or the Gulf of Mexico, but it started moving south towards the Bahamas. And there's a, a Coast Guard station on Great Inagua. It's basically a glorified sandbar. And it had been monitoring the progress of an 800-foot cargo freighter called the Manouche. Around 12 p.m. on September 28th, they warned the Manouche, you need to find harbor immediately. Hurricane Joaquin is coming right at you. The Manouche continued on. They did not heed the warning. Around four hours later, the four-man crew realized, we need to be ready. They had been on call for the last three days. There was four men, Ben the rescue swimmer, Dave and Rick the pilots, Joshua the flight mechanic. They'd been waiting with their Jayhawk rescue helicopter, Rock Jock. They had been on call again for three whole days, and then they began to realize, we're about to go out. And sure enough, 8 p.m. that night, they get the heartbreaking call from the Manouche abandoning ship, 12 men in the water. They gear up into a helicopter and fly into a Category 4 hurricane. They fly for 30 minutes, miles and miles, until they reach the location. They sprung into action and Ben, the rescue swimmer, he descended down on a rope into the water. And he swam against these 30-foot waves to find this life raft. He finally made it to it and he unzipped it and he looked inside and 12 men stared blankly back at him. One by one, he began to load them up onto the basket. Every single time he would turn around after loading someone up, he would look and the raft had drifted as far as 100 yards and he swam the whole way to go find them. This took several minutes and several Uh, dozens of minutes to get everyone up. And by the time they had eight of the men on the helicopter, the pilot looked at him and said, man, we're running out of fuel. We have to go back. And he said, okay, I'm gonna stay here with them. And they said, no, 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 you need to come with us because you need to get your, your suit recovered. You need to make sure that you're good to go. You need to rest. And they went back. And after an hour there and back, they came back and they got the other four men onto the helicopter and brought them back. By the time all was said and done, they had spent 10 hours of flying and swimming to get each of these men to safety. 
They got done at six in the morning just before sunrise as the sun started to lighten the sky around Hurricane Joaquin. Hurricane Joaquin took the lives of 34 men, but because of that four-man Coast Guard team, 12 men's lives were saved. And I start there tonight because we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus walking on water. And if you're like me and you have heard anything about this story, you might imagine Jesus was walking on a pretty flat surface. That's just what I've always pictured in my mind, that it's just, it's calm, the surface of the water, because we know it's difficult to walk on uneven surfaces. But in reality, there was a large windstorm that his disciples were caught in, 12 men in a boat in dire circumstances. And so this is not some leisurely stroll across a calm surface. This is Jesus walking across huge waves to a storm to get to his disciples. You can see why the story fits so well. If you want the link to it, I'll send it to you. It's actually a phenomenal read. It's like a 10-page journal. I read it a couple of days ago. It's fantastic. You should check it out. But as we're going through our series, Jesus' Greatest Hits, uh, I want to be clear. We do not really get to define the best moments of Jesus' life. That's, that's not what we're trying to do. But what we do want to do is take a fresh look at popular or well-known stories of Jesus' life. We want to do this because so often if you've grown up hearing these stories or you hear these stories on first glance, you might just think, oh, that's just a cool story. Oh, that's just something simple. Yeah, of course Jesus has done that. But what we want to do is see what actually happened in these stories and understand the truth of God's word to us from each of these different aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. And so whether you've been following Jesus since childhood or you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been investigating your faith or some friend dragged you here and you're not even really sure why you're here, our hope is that you would begin to see with fresh eyes how amazing and glorious Jesus Christ is tonight. And it's important for us tonight to look at this story of Jesus walking on the water in the midst of a storm because while each of us may not be lost at sea, we're in Kansas, we're pretty far away from a sea Everyone here tonight will go through a storm in our lives. And there's going to be storms that we find ourselves in that's going to cause us to question, how am I going to survive this? How am I going to get through this? And it could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be a breakup or a medical emergency. And it could happen next year. It could happen five years from now. It could happen 20 years from now. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel like you're going through that storm right now. Our hope and prayer is that you would see tonight God is your rescue from all storms of life. And he would strengthen all of us in our faith in Jesus so that when the storms do come, that we'll be secure in him. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just trust that you want to do something tonight through your word. God, we need it to be your words and not mine. God, would we walk away with a fresh sense of awe and wonder about how powerful you are and, God, also how loving you are. God, I pray that we would have this sense of awe, but, God, it would also change the way that we live and walk in faith and dependence on you. And, God, I pray for the person who's here tonight who's going through storms. God, I pray that this would be something that's comforting to them. And, God, I pray that you would implant these truths so deeply in our hearts and in our minds that when the storms do come, whether it's tomorrow or five years from now, God, would you please just help us to remember that you are our rescue in this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So tonight we'll be looking at Matthew 14. Uh, It's directly after last week's greatest hit when Jesus fed the 5,000. 
And to recap that for those of you who weren't here, uh, I want to paint for you guys the, the context of this story. So Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded by King Herod. And Jesus has had a loss in the family. His disciples have just been sent out on a mission and they've just come back. And he's been trying to get away with them to debrief and to rest. And on top of that, a crowd of about 15,000 people have been following him to get miraculously healed and to, heal, or to hear his teaching and learn from Jesus. And Jesus fed every single one of them to satisfaction with five loaves of bread and two fish. And this is the context of, what, uh, context of what's going on. The crowd sees Jesus do this miraculous feat and they want to make him the king by force. They basically want to riot and, and overthrow everything and install Jesus as their new earthly king. But Jesus knows that's not in the plan of God the Father. And that's where we find ourselves in Matthew 14. If you've got a Bible, feel free to turn there. If not, everything's going to be up on the screen. We'd love to get you a Bible if you don't have one. Starting in verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Right away, last week, we talked about the idea of withdrawing, and we see Jesus live this out. He has these hectic circumstances thrust upon him, and he spends time alone to pray to the Father. And I just say this really quickly as a follow-up to last week's message, get alone with God. Ask yourself, how was withdrawing this past week? What did that look like for you? If you weren't here last week, you can check out that message on Spotify. And, and while Jesus is praying, though, we, that was a side comment. While Jesus is praying, the disciples are in the Sea of Galilee, and they're trying to row their way across. So the sail is not helping because the wind is against them. If you know anything about sailing, you know that that doesn't help you move forward. I don't know anything about sailing, but I know that. And we know that they were trying to row because the Gospel of John actually tells us that they had been rowing, get this, for three to four miles. And this is not some canoe that cuts through the water. This is not some boat that's designed to be rowed through crazy storms or through strong winds. This is a fishing boat. It's designed to carry a lot of nets and carry a lot of fish and carry a lot of people so that they can work this. It's not the most, not aerodynamic, what's the, water dynamic? What's the term, anyone? No engineers around here? Hydrodynamic. Wow, you learn something new every day. This is not a hydrodynamic ship. They've had a long day. There's no sleep. And now they are rowing across the sea in the middle of a windstorm. And it's important for us tonight to recognize how difficult this storm is because it's our first connection into this story. Like the disciples, there are storms in each and every single one of our lives. Sometimes they're major, and sometimes they're minor. But there are circumstances that cause our lives to feel like we are struggling against the winds and the waves. And again, I, I don't know what that storm is for you here tonight. Maybe you're thinking of something in the past. Maybe you're thinking of something that you're going through right now. Maybe you're thinking of a fear of the future. Maybe it's the fact that you're single and you don't want to be. Maybe it's the fact that there's a stressful job situation and you're not sure where your financial security is going to come from in the future. Maybe it's a friendship that's strained and you feel like there's conflict there. Maybe it's a broken family relationship. 
I, I don't know. But there is something in your life that feels like it's beating you down. And you feel like it, you are doing everything you can to row and row and row every single night to get through this storm. And the first thing is that this is to be expected. Jesus tells us that in this life we will have trouble. I don't think you have to be a theologian to look at the world and realize things are not as they were once designed to be. Things are not perfect here on this earth. And this is what the disciples are experiencing in this moment. They're experiencing a storm of life. Matthew continues on in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. This would have been about 3 to 6 a.m., sometime around then. So not only have they been rowing all night, Jesus has been praying alone on a mountain in the middle of a windstorm all night long. Talk about dedication. Talk about focus in prayer. And you would imagine by this point, right, the disciples, they see Jesus and they'd be excited, right? Because they're like, finally, the person who's finally going to be able to do something just showed up. Well, it turns out they do not even recognize him. It says, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I mean, think about this for a second. Just take a step back. Who else could this be? Who, a figure miraculously walking towards them in the middle of a storm? Like they have just witnessed Jesus feed thousands of people with five loaves of bread. They have seen Jesus heal crippled people and the blind and the deaf. Some of them have even seen Jesus raise a little girl from death. So we would think, man, they should recognize this. In fact, even in the scriptures, they would have remembered that in the Old Testament, God appeared to people oftentimes in a storm, and he passed by people in a storm. Who else could this be but Jesus? And yet they're afraid. They get superstitious. And they don't recognize their Lord. But listen to how Jesus responds to them. I love this response from Jesus. It says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. The reason why Jesus can tell them to take heart and not be afraid is because he's with them and he's in control. Let me ask you guys this. Who sent them out in the boat? Jesus. This brings us to truth number one. God is in control of our circumstances. The disciples were afraid because they didn't recognize God. And they also did not recognize that God was in control of their situation. Did anyone here play Mario Kart growing up? Anyone? Mario Kart? Anyone? Mario Kart 64? Double Dash? Wii? Whatever it is that's happening now? Any shout-out to any Dry Bones lovers out there? Yeah? No? Okay. Fantastic game. It really is. Uh, it was very big in the Swearingen family, Swearingen household, especially with me and two of my cousins. We loved racing. We loved competing. We'd get so excited when we'd win or when we'd get new time trial records, except for there was one issue. My younger cousin, Christian, he was not old enough to understand how to play the game. Christian, if you listen to this, I'm sorry that you have to find this out. Uh, because his older brother and I did what any good and loving family members do. You hand him the controller that's not plugged in, and you tell him that he's one of your characters. And if you're a younger sibling in here, this happened to you. It just did. I'm sorry. 
you think that you're great at the game, but you were not actually playing. And he would get all button mashy, you know, he's just really going hard at it, and he's jerking the controller right and left. And when one of, one of, when one of us would inevitably win, he would just celebrate. And we'd just sit back and think, man, look at that. But here's the deal, Christian was never in control. Control over our circumstances is one of the most common myths in human history, and especially in the Christian life. <laughs> but it's something that we seek so often in pretty much every area of our lives. Right? If I can just earn enough money, I can be in control of my financial circumstances. If I can just work hard enough in my job or around the house, I'll get that promotion or I'll have a stable job situation or my house will stay in good shape and nothing will break and I'll have no needs for maintenance in the future. It's not true. If I can just hit the gym enough, I'll never get sick. If I can just find the right people, I'll never be lonely. But all of that is a myth. Ask anyone in the room tonight, has life gone exactly the way you planned? And we'll all say no, because we realize I'm not in control of my life. Proverbs 16, 9, Solomon, he was the wisest man alive, wrote the book of Proverbs. He says this very simply, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Guys, we can try to plan our life, but God is the one who actually determines our course. And this can be really challenging, though, because it raises a very important and critical question. If God is in control of my circumstances, why would he make them difficult? Why does God bring us through the storms of life? God is sovereign, which means he's essentially, to sum it up, all-powerful, all-knowing, and in control of all things. And so if God is in control, if he's sovereign, why would he allow us to go through these storms? Why would he allow us to go through these difficult circumstances in our lives? Why would he send the disciples out in a boat when he knew the storm was coming? And, and there are some very deep theological and important answers there. I would encourage you to study and wrestle with through God's word. But tonight, I, I would like to offer a part of that answer that gives hope. God allows this because he loves us. Let me explain. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Guys, the simple truth is that if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, God has you go through storms in life so that you can learn that God is good. That you can learn to trust that God's word is true. It's a challenge, but it's, it's a learned dependence on a loving father. Because if life isn't hard, I don't really need God. I can just kind of do my own thing. And I'll be cut off and separated and not seeking the one who can truly give me life and life to the full. And can I just say, isn't it good to know that evil and chaos is not in control? Isn't it comforting to know that a loving God is in control of every circumstance in our life? So often, I think we feel like the disciples, we're in the boat, right? The wind is pushing, and the waves are getting higher, and we feel like we've been rowing all night. I just, I, we're drained, we've been working hard, but we would prefer that everything would rely on us rather than ask God for help. 
We'd prefer that I don't need to follow God's word. And we do that because we're naturally sinful. And we make desperate attempts at grasping at control. We jerk the controller back and forth. We smash buttons, trying to do anything to regain a sense of security. But when God comes towards us and asks us to hand over control, we get scared because we don't recognize him. And we think, whoa, 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 what are you doing, God? I don't want you to have control. God's word says to be generous with finances, but how can I be generous when money is tight? God's word says to be patient in our jobs and relationships. How can I be patient when it feels like everyone else is passing me by? When we hear something in God's word that seems counterintuitive to what we think we need to overcome our circumstances, we get scared. We think, man, did God really say that? Why? Because we don't recognize a good God coming to help us. We don't recognize that God gives us his command so that we'd find life. And just like the disciples, so often we cry out in fear and we grip our oars and we get terrified. And can I just say, if that's you tonight, because I know that's been me, remember what Jesus says. Take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. Jesus doesn't come to them with sharp criticism. He doesn't come to them and slap them upside the head and say, why didn't you recognize me? He says, no, 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 no. Take heart. I'm, I'm here with you. Don't be afraid. For those of you in the room tonight who are not going currently through the storms of life, my, my prayer is that you would just remember this one day when you are, that you would think back to this and remember that God is in control of your circumstances. But for those of you who are in the room tonight and you feel like your world is getting rocked by the wind and the waves and you feel like the disciples, consider that you are here tonight in this room right now because God wanted you here. God wanted you to hear these words from Jesus. Take heart. I am here. Do not be afraid. These are not just Jesus' words to the disciples. These are Jesus' words to every single one of you in the room tonight. And in the story, Peter actually gives us a great example of how to initially respond to Jesus' words. Verse 28 continues. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And this doesn't really make sense, right? Why? Peter's he's kind of a bold guy. Uh, I'm not sure because the boat is the only thing that's keeping him out of the water. And he wants Jesus to command him to get out of the boat? Get out of his comfort zone? Because Peter's a fisherman. He spent some time in boats. He knows those bad boys. But yet Peter knows that the only one who can save him from the storm is Jesus. He doesn't think the boat can save him. He doesn't think that rowing all night to get to shore will save him. He knows Jesus is the only one that can help him. Verse 29 says, Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. Guys, can you imagine the rush of that? Can you imagine the sense of awe to be Peter and to actually walk on the water? You've been striving all night. You're tired. And suddenly you are doing the impossible because God is giving you the strength and the power to walk towards him in the middle of a windstorm, in the middle of waves. I pray that each and every single one of us will get to experience that kind of trust in God. That we would obey God's commands even when our circumstances make it seem like it's impossible. 
but, but things start to go downhill for Peter. Verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Things were going so well for him. He was walking on water and he was obeying Jesus. But what happened? He took his focus off of Jesus. He began to pay more attention to his circumstances rather than God. So he started to sink. Several weeks ago, Luke spoke to us about Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and the idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus, throwing off sin and everything that hinders us to run the race of faith. And Peter was doing that. He was walking by faith. He was running so well. But then the storm distracted him. He took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. And maybe that's your story tonight. Maybe you were running well for a while. You made the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you made the decision to follow Jesus when you were just a little kid. And nothing can change that. Nothing can take you away from God's love. But a, a tough circumstance came by and you took your eyes off Jesus. And you started trying to beat the wind by yourself. And then more storms came and you looked away from Jesus more and more. And just like Peter, you're now sinking and drowning in your circumstances. And all you can do is throw up a desperate prayer saying, Lord, save me. And you're not sure how you got there. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Guys, first and foremost, if you are here tonight and you have been sinking in life, know that Jesus always immediately reaches out and takes hold of you. If you cry out to Jesus, he is a merciful and faithful God. He loves you so much. He cares about you. He's here with you right now. And all you have to do is say, God, I just need help. But then there's probably going to be some tough words. And they're said out of love. They're not said to kick you while you're down or to make you feel bad about yourself. But they're said to help train you for the future. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Before we go after anyone in this room tonight for doubting or having little faith, before we sit in this room and think, man, I'm sure someone around me needs to hear this. I want to remind you all, at some point or another, this will be you. At some point or another, this will be and has been me. Each and every single one of us in the room tonight who are following Jesus, we have had little faith and doubts. And whether it's for a moment or whether it's for a month or whether it's for years of our lives, we're prone to wander. And it hurts, right? That kind of stings. I don't really want to hear that. I don't want to be told that I have little faith, especially not while I'm going through a storm, especially not while I'm crying out to Jesus to say, help me. And if we're not careful, this idea that God just wants us to try harder and muster up more faith can enter into our minds and think, well, then God just wants me to white knuckle it more and God just wants me to tough it out. And that's so far from the case. David Platt, he's a pastor and author. I, I, I couldn't say it better than how he says this. Many people condemn Peter for his little faith, as though he could muster up more faith for himself. But this is not the case. Instead, what matters most is always the object of our faith. 
Peter's faith was little because he took his eyes off Jesus, the object of his faith. This is what caused Peter to sink. This leads us to truth number two. Faith is focusing on God's control over our circumstances. Guys, can I just tell you, it's not our circumstances that need to change. We don't need to try to ignore the fact that storms are going on in life. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to act like everything's okay. But instead, we need to focus on Jesus who is our calm in the storm. Because if our faith is based on getting out of storms, then the object of our faith is not Jesus. The object of our faith is circumstances. And if my faith, my hope for the future is things will change, then my hope is not in Jesus. My faith is on change. And if our faith is based on ignoring storms, then our faith will be very rudely disrupted one day. Because the storms will come. But if we can learn to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in the midst of a storm, then we'll be with the one who walks on water and the one who calms the storm. This is what Peter experiences. It says, And they got into the boat, and the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Peter does not need the storm to end. Even though God could do it, Jesus did it right then. We don't need our singleness. We don't need our relationship drama. We don't need our job stress to go away. We need to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. God is a good God. And the more we experience that, the more we'll experience life to the full, no matter what's happening in our lives. But the thing is, it's not just enough to experience this one time. The the tragic detail about this story is that the disciples have actually seen Jesus calm a storm before. They even cried out the exact same thing. It happened in Matthew 8. Lord, don't you care if we die? Save us. And Jesus calmed the storm, and he rescued them previously. But in the midst of a new storm, they forgot, and they doubted God's faithfulness and God's power. How often is that our story? We've seen God show up in the past, but we forget his faithfulness and power, and it causes us to doubt him in the present, and we begin to waver in our unbelief. Guys, God's hope and prayer for every single one of us is that we would stand firm in our faith in him, in our focus on Jesus. Jesus has given us the power to have strong faith. Jesus has given us the ability to be unwavering in the storms of life. And it doesn't come from anything within ourselves. It comes from daily fixing our eyes on Jesus. Where we think, man, if I can just get to know Jesus more today, if I can just cling close to him, if I can just depend on him, then I know, even though it doesn't look like it, I know he'll take care of me. I know that this storm will pass. It's God's hope for us that the winds of life wouldn't blow us all over the place, but that we'd be planted, rooted, and built up in our faith. We'd have a strong foundation. 
And, and everything that we do here in the local church and through the Block KC is that each of us would build a firm foundation of trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why we say at the Block, we build our life on what counts. Block KC, do we believe this? Do we believe that our life can be built on Jesus and it can be firm and we can be rooted and we can be built up and we can experience a mature outlook on life and not be pulled by everything that comes into our life? For those of you who are here tonight who are followers of Jesus, here is how you stand firm and fix your eyes on him. Three things. First of all, remember. In the same way that Peter and the disciples should have remembered Jesus calming the storm previously, they should have remembered him feeding thousands with a couple loaves of bread. We need to remember what God has done for us. And guys, the first and foremost thing that we always need to remember is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we could have new life in him. That we could be born again and have a new, be a new creation. That we'd be set free from our debt of sin. And that's the first thing that we always remember. Jesus is our savior for eternity. And then on top of that, remember every single time God has brought you through a difficult circumstance. Whether it was a minor storm or a major storm of life, think back and remember, man, God has been faithful to me. God really has answered my prayers. God has done great things. And, and I don't know what's gonna work for you guys. Maybe it's a note card on your desk, maybe it's a sticky note on your mirror, maybe it's the background on your phone, just something. But we need to have a place where we remind ourselves of God's goodness in difficult times. Personally, I have a journal that I write down a lot of my prayers in, and I've started getting into the habit over the past couple of years of going back and reading them. And I remember reading this one actually just week, uh, this week, and it was from about six months ago, and I remember looking at it and thinking, man, God has been faithful to me. God has been good. And I remembered that storm that I was going through. I remember thinking, that was tough. But God got me through it. I'm okay. And he's going to get me through the storms of the future. I, I, again, I don't know what works for you. But we have to remember God's faithfulness to us. My challenge to you this week is to find that. Whatever it is. Journal, note card, sticky note, phone background, whatever. Whatever works for you. Wherever you're going to see it. Write down just some things that God has done in your life. And then remember it. Repeat this, these things to yourself. We have to remember. Second, we need to abide. To abide means to remain close to. Peter, he obeyed the command to get out of the boat. And we need to obey Jesus' command to come to him every moment of the day. And we cling to Jesus. We abide with Jesus. Tonight when you go home, Here's one way to do this. Before you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning in every moment of your life, pray and ask God to keep you close to him. And as often as you think about God, pray, God, I want to get to know you. Will you keep me close to you? And we just make that our prayer and we make that almost as if we're breathing. Every single time we breathe in, we're reminded, I need God. Every time we exhale, we remind ourselves God is good. And we make it a pattern and we make it the overflow of our hearts. We have to abide. And finally, worship. Those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. 
They grow their sense of awe and wonder towards God. Think about this, y'all. The storm caused the disciples to worship God. The storms in our life cause us to worship God and understand truly Jesus is the Son of God. Truly he is who he says that he is. And we're going to be closing in just a moment with a time of singing. And I just want to say, guys, these songs, we don't sing them just because it's what you do when Christians get together. We don't sing them that's just because it's what you do at a church. We don't want to sing them just because it's a great way to end the night. And it, we don't want to sing them just because it makes us feel good. And it's fun to listen to good music. We sing them because we want our hearts to worship God. We sing them because we want our hearts to be amazed at who he is. And we think of the words on the screen, and we think, do I believe this is true? And I'm going to sing it and tell myself this is true. We want to praise God in the midst of a storm. And my encouragement to you is just don't worry about what other people might think. Don't worry about how you might sound. Because it's not about that. It's about worshiping and telling God, truly, you are the Son of God. It's not for anyone else. It's for him. Remember, abide, worship. This is actually the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that the disciples acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. The very first time. Satan has acknowledged Jesus is the Son of God. The demons have acknowledged Jesus is the Son of God. But this is the time that the disciples say, truly, the man that we follow is the Son of God. And you might be here in this room tonight and you have never acknowledged that. And you've been living your life thinking God is a good teacher and Jesus was a good man and there's some things with him that are beneficial. And you're beginning to realize you feel like you've been sinking your whole life, facing storms on your own for your whole life. And you feel the, the weight of your sin. And you know about Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with him. You don't feel like you can reach out and ask for help. All we have to do to believe in Jesus is to say, truly you are the son of God, save me. That's all it takes. And he forgives us from our sins. And he transforms us into a new creation. And I just want to tell you, if you're here in the room tonight, do not leave tonight without asking God to save you. We have to remember, guys, the storms are going to come. And whether you're in them now or whether you're in them tomorrow, God is in control of our circumstances and faith is choosing to focus on God's control over them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, just asking that you would help those of us in this room tonight, God, who don't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that if that person is here God, would you just help them to understand their need for you? Would you help them to understand how much you love them? God, would you please right now be burdening their heart? Remind them all the, all the times that they've felt that the wages of sin is death. God, your spirit has to be the one to do this. And God, would you help them to see that all they have to do is cry out, save me. And they don't have to clean themselves up and they don't have to scramble back into the boat of faith. 
but you'll rescue them and you immediately reach out and grab their hand. And God, for those of us in the room tonight who are followers of you, God, would we stand firm in our faith? God, would you equip this room to be mature disciples that they would go out in confidence, God? God, that I would go out firmly believing in your word, firmly believing in your goodness. And God, that when the storms of life come, God, that we would be able to weather them. God, not because we want people to look at us. God, not because I want people to look at us and think that we have it all together. But God, because we want opportunities to point to you and worship and say, I just know the Son of God. God, would your spirit come and, and work on us, God, as we're singing these songs, as we're reflecting and worship, God, would you help us to remind ourselves that these are true words that we're singing. And would you help us to be people that remember? Would you help us to be people that abide? And would you help us to be people that worship you? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.